To be distinctively Christian is not to be conflicted about where I'm going or the purpose of life. To be distinctively Christian means that I've settled that issue, that my journey down here is to demonstrate my allegiance to another world, to another kingdom. It is foolish not to be ready. This is Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Loritz. Today we look at one of Jesus' well-known parables about the ten virgins in the lampstands. Now one of the dangers of familiarity is that we tend to rest in our own understanding of any given thing or topic and resist learning anything else we might have missed. But today's message will call on us to refocus our understanding of this parable and make sure we really grasp its serious implications. Today Crawford will ask, are we ready for the return of Christ? If you're new to our program, a big welcome to you. Hope you'll join us on a regular basis. Crawford has been in Christian ministry for over 50 years. He's been a pastor, missionary, conference speaker, seminary professor, and author. His books include Your Marriage Today and Tomorrow, Leadership as an Identity, and Unshaken. The messages we feature on Living a Legacy come from Crawford's 15 years of ministry as pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Roswell, Georgia. Well, today we're nearing the end of Crawford's series in the book of Matthew, the series called For His Kingdom. Today's message emphasizes our need as believers to live ready. Join us in Matthew chapter 25. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. I mentioned to you, and I want to underscore this to you, that actually there's there some sections of the Bible that probably shouldn't be broken up in chapter divisions. They're meant to be read as a whole. Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25 should probably be read as a whole, as a whole. Well, they all deal with end times. But in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is being a little bit more specific. Now, and I want to say it again, no church should ever be divided or split over prophecy. Uh, you have to hold that with an open hand. The details of when Jesus is coming back and that kind of thing, you know, there are great Christians who disagree on that. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't disagree about whether or not he's coming back. He is coming back. But some of those details are, are, are debatable. I took a position. Matthew 24 really represents a specific time period. A specific time period. We call that the Great Tribulation. It is that time period after the church is taken out of the world and before Jesus comes back to establish his literal earthly kingdom. It is a time of incredible judgment. It's nothing to be laughed about or joked about. It's a time in which literally all hell will break loose on this earth. And so we walk through that passage. Now, we trip over into Matthew chapter 25, and Jesus is still talking about his coming, but he's really picking up the subject of readiness. These next two parables, the parable I'm going to talk about today and the parable I'm going to talk about next week, they both carry the theme of readiness, of being prepared. It's like Jesus is saying, this ain't no joke. You've got to be ready. I want to take some time and read through this, this narrative, this parable, uh, because I think reading through it in its entirety and then going back and walking through it will help us to understand it. Every word, every word in the Bible is important, but this is extraordinarily important for us right now as we live in this era waiting for Jesus to take his church out of the world. Nothing needs to take place before the church is snatched out of the world. Nothing. And as I said last week, I want to reiterate it today. 
The church can be raptured, taken out of the world before I finish this next sentence or when I'm in mid-sentence. Nothing else needs to take place. And we need to be living in a perpetual sense of readiness for that return. And that's the sense of these two parables that Jesus, Jesus is giving to us. So let me, let me read this famed parable of the ten virgins. The word virgin there, by the way, is, means young unmarried woman, typically, and it's not just speaking sexually there. Beginning of verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor, nor the hour. Life was filled with guns and war, and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold. A piece of bread would buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come, and you've been left behind. That's the feeling, the somber feeling of this parable. Some passages of Scripture doesn't lend itself to a delivery that is light and fluffy and joking. This is not the time for levity. It's not the time to crack up. But it's the time to look into our own hearts. This is the reason why Jesus elevates this parable. Not everything religious, not everything exposed is going to make it in to the kingdom of God. Now, as you flow through this narrative, this parable, you find that there are several pictures. The motif here is that of a wedding. That's the backdrop. It's that of, of a wedding. So these 10 virgins, 10 young women are in the wedding procession. If you were here during the Christmas holidays, and I did a little message on, on Joseph and uh, hearing that, uh, uh, that Mary is pregnant, and he was betrothed to her, and I explained that the betrothal period was a legal binding period, but back then it was an agreement to be married, uh, but the wedding wasn't consummated until the bridegroom, according to the custom, left his home and came back to get his bride. And the custom was that they walked in, in, in procession, often in the evenings with torches lit to the, to the groom's home. And this is the backdrop here. Jesus is likening himself 
as the groom that's coming back for his, for his bride. It's a picture of oil there and all these other things, and we're going we're gonna to walk through this. But there is a progression in this parable, which often is the case with many of the parables. Um, by the way, parables are not meant to be surgically analyzed. Sometimes if you analyze them in too much detail, you miss the bigger message. But one of the brilliant things about the parables that Jesus gives for the most part, he will give you the bottom line. And so this parable is like a big funnel that's going to a bottom line. He's getting to the big point here. And so I think that there's sort of five movements in this progression in this parable. First, he's talking about contrasting preparation. He's talking about an unexpected arrival, number two. Number three, he's talking about too little, too late. Number four, he's talking about being tragically shut out. And then finally, the apex of it all, the point at which he's driving, is the lesson. The lesson is to live ready. So I don't want you to guess where we're going in this parable. We're, we're, we're focusing on living, living ready. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, he's, he's giving us contrasting preparation. You read this, you read about oil and all this stuff. At first you go, what in the world is this all about? Well, hang in there. First one says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil, prepositional phrase, with them. Now, you got to pay attention to, to what is being said in the parable. They had oil. They didn't take any extra oil with them. The lamps here are nothing more than torches on the end of a piece of wood or, or, or limb that they would wrap rags around, and then they would, they would dip them in oil. And they would light them so that it would be seen in the night. Now, as I fished around with it, as I thought to myself, what in the world does oil represent? Usually there's some type of picture that Jesus is playing with. And in the parable, he doesn't hit at what oil represents. And so I, in my research this past week, I was trying to turn the passage upside down, and I was trying to figure out what, what does this oil represent. Some suggest that oil represents the Word of God, and that, that sounds like it could be. Some suggest that the oil represents faith. And I say maybe, that probably fits, and I wouldn't argue with any of those interpretations. Um, but others say that the oil represents the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm particularly drawn to that myself because throughout the Bible, uh, the Holy Spirit, oil is used as a picture of the Holy Spirit, uh, the anointing of oil in James, the anointing of oil in the Old Testament, a symbol of the Spirit of God being with you. And I, I do think that maybe Jesus is forecasting something. He's talking about those who do not possess the Holy Spirit will be excluded from the kingdom. And we know that the Holy Spirit's work is to seal us. Uh, that's part of what he does in regenerating us when we become believers and followers of Jesus. However, I've also learned as I study the Word of God that uh, don't get too tied up with speculation. If the text doesn't say clearly what it is, it doesn't mean for us to speculate that much about what it is because he's talking about a larger thing here. I think a larger issue that he's talking about, whether it's the Word of God, whether it's faith, or whether it is my view of it being the Holy Spirit, the larger issue that he's talking about here is that the wise were ready and the foolish weren't. Whatever the oil is, the wise were ready, they had it, and the foolish, foolish didn't. 
Now, the five foolish people here, obviously, in the text, as you, you read any of what Jesus is saying, you don't need to have any kind of a brilliant insight. These are people who are very religious, who have assumed a relationship with God. And I think our application would be, it would be those who profess to have a relationship with Christ, but they don't. And you all have heard me say this, and it's, uh, it's tragic for me to have to say this, but it's consistent with the Word of God. This is particularly true of those of us who live down here in the Bible Belt. We make the dastardly crazy assumption that because we've been exposed to the Bible, we sit in a Bible study, we, we've, we've gone to church our whole lives, we may have made an outward profession of our faith, we're in a small group, we've gone through some stuff, we've read the Bible, we, and we hang out with Christians, that somehow or another, this osmosis thing will work for us. This parable, this parable is an eye-opener. Are you really sure? Are you really sure that you have a relationship with Christ? Do you know the difference between being religious and having a sincere heart transformation and a relationship with Christ? Do you know the difference between being conformed to Christian values and principles, mores, and even lifestyle, and a heartfelt relationship with Jesus? Are you sure? You see, these people being in the wedding party, I got to tell you this, Jesus is brilliant here. The five foolish and five wise, they they were all in the wedding party. They were associated with the wedding. They were associated with an anticipation of the groom. But only five were really ready. Are we ready? So he's talking about contrasting preparation here. Now we trip into the unexpected arrival. And by the way, we, we don't live for this life. Some of us pay more attention to preparing for our retirement and weddings than we do in being ready to meet the Lord. That's a tragedy. Some of us spend more time with our eye on our 401k or 403b, and we're constantly on our stock market app to see how our favorite stocks are faring, and we're constantly hooking it up, looking at things, leveraging our future, you know, selling the house at the right time to leverage the equity so that I can get more stuff, and downsizing at the right time to utilize the resource, and we're all, we're all into that. We, we, we spend more time, more time preparing for a kingdom down here that's going to burn up We spend all this time, and we tinker with our souls. And I would remind us, we don't live for this life. We live for eternity. No one was ever born to live here permanently. We were born to live in the presence of God. We were born for heaven. The only reason why you are alive is to become a member of the kingdom of God and to celebrate the plan and purposes of God to defeat the enemy's kingdom. That's the reason why we have the image of God. That's the only reason why we're here, the only reason why we're in this world. It's the only reason. Now, I'm going to say something later on. He wants us to enjoy life and all of that. I do get that. But to be distinctively Christian is not to be conflicted about where I'm going or the purpose of life. To be distinctively Christian means that I've settled that issue, that my journey down here is to demonstrate my allegiance to another world, to another kingdom, and that we live from the boundaries of another kingdom. It is to reflect that in human history. It is foolish not to be ready for the Lord's return. Now, 
the unexpected arrival. That's verses 4 through 7. I want you to notice something here. The line in verse 4 says, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. You pay attention. No, the, 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 their lamps, meaning the, the torch, was already dipped in oil and saturated. Besides that, the wise took flasks of oil with them. Sort of an added preparation. Now, I don't want to fool with this too much, but I, but I, but, 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 but I actually think this extra oil or extra virgin olive oil, uh, <laughs> lighten it up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> everybody's going, <laughs> you know. I happen to think that this extra oil is, a, is an inference to the assurance and confidence we ought to have in our salvation. God wants us to experience the assurance of that relationship with him. It's not that the extra oil would save them, although it will in this case as he tells the story. I think the larger issue and the larger point here is that they were confident, they were sure that they had a relationship with God. If there's one thing that you need to be sure about, if there's one relationship you need to be sure about, if there's one, one thing in your life that you need to be rock solid about, it's whether or not you have a relationship with Christ. In fact, John said it this way in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says that we can know this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So the extra oil that they bought with them confidence to see them through certain eventualities. Something happens, though, in verse 5. The bridegroom is delayed. Look, it says, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Now, don't, don't skip over something. I want you to look at the word all. They didn't say, he didn't say that the foolish ones became drowsy and slept. You can get a little sloppy interpretation there. He said all of them, both the wise and the foolish, became drowsy and slept. Put a pin in that. I'm coming back to that. But the opening part of this says that the bridegroom was delayed. I believe Jesus is referring to that time, that time between his first advent and the taking of the church out of the world. Now, there's something called the imminent return of Christ for his church. You know what the word imminent means? It, it means? it means nothing else needs to take place. I said this earlier. Nothing else needs to take place before he snatches us out of the world. Nothing. Nothing else. It's imminent. Nothing. It could happen. It's at hand. There's nothing else that needs to take place. Well, it, it certainly has been delayed, though, hasn't it? I mean, that, that, this problem was made a couple thousand years ago. He hadn't come back yet. Nothing else needs to happen. The flip side of that is also true. He could come back before I finish this next sentence. I don't see how. I really believe I'm living in a generation in which he's going to return for his church. But I have to say with an open hand, i got to be careful of this because no man knows. It could be another thousand years. We don't know. It is imminent, it is uncertain, nothing else needs to take place, 
The whole suspense of that is to drive readiness. That's what he's talking about. Now, now let, let me go back over here to this line where it says that, that they all became drowsy and slept. You say, of course, that's problematic. How is it that they're ready, but they're sleeping? The five wise. I think Jesus is, is, is saying something to us that we need to hold on to. See, part of the problem when you preach on end time things and you preach about the future things, in our desire to underscore the urgency of the hour, we can communicate something that is not necessarily true. Jesus does not want us to check out on life while we wait for his return. There is no condemnation here for them sleeping. Here's the point that I think he's making. The wise slept with a clear conscience because they were ready. It was the fact that they were ready that caused them to be able to sleep. Uh, you're looking at me strange here. Look, Jesus is coming back, but live a normal, intentional life until he returns. A couple of things. Last week after the second service, someone came up to me and said, they were really gripped with the whole issue of urgency since he is returning. This kind of thing. And the young lady said, well, should I quit my job? Should I focus on going in full-time? He's coming back, and she just kept going. And I said, well, hold a slow roll. The Lord may be leading you to do that. He may very well be leading you to do that, and you need to listen to him. However, have you considered this? He may want to use where he placed you on that job as a primary arena to impact the hearts and lives of people right there. And I'm going to say this. Now, you've got to think with me here because I don't want you to miss, miss this or, or think that I said something I didn't say. The point is this. When we think of the urgency of the hour and the return of Christ and what the Bible teaches, you've got to drop that into everything that the Bible teaches. To, 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 to be anticipating his return and be anticipating walking in his presence does not mean that we stop enjoying life. We're taught to enjoy life. The Bible teaches that we ought to have fun in life. We ought to have vacations. We ought to go to ball games. We ought to interact with friends. We ought to enjoy ourselves. Enjoy all of that. I think that's what he means, that they got drowsy and slept. It wasn't that they needed to sleep. But what he's saying is, I want you to hold this intention. Remember, it's only temporary. You're always ready, and I can't come back. Crawford Loritz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy. We're looking at five movements in the progression of the parable of the ten virgins as found in Matthew chapter 25. Here are those movements as Crawford describes them. Number one, contrasting preparation. Two, an unexpected arrival. Three, too little too late. Four, being tragically shut out. And number five, to live ready. We'll get to those last three next week. If you joined us late in the broadcast today, you can hear the complete message on our website. Go to livingalegacy.org. We also offer all of Crawford's messages as free downloads. Look for the MP3 link on the website, livingalegacy.org. We're always encouraged by your emails, so take a few moments to write to us. Look for the contact link on our website. Once again, it's livingalegacy.org. Thanks for joining us today. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.